Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At the UPS store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer Shipalooza. So you can start crossing items off your must-ship list. Like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class. Or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack and ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com slash guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cuckoo writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. I'm delighted to welcome back Felicity Cloak to the podcast. Felicity is a food, drink and travel journalist and the author of seven books. She also writes regular columns for the New Statesman and the Guardian, where she has a long run in how to cook the perfect column, trying lots of different variations on a recipe before coming up with her perfect version. Welcome, Felicity. Hi, nice or bonjour, to, I should or, say. Or bonjour. <laughs> nice to see you again. Um, today we're going to talk about 10 iconic French dishes and how to get them just right. So you're going to bring your perfect column expertise, as well as your experiences from your sixth book, One More Croissant for the Road, where you cycled all around France, eating the most famous dishes in the places they were invented. So you've got plenty intel in this area. I feel like this is my special subject, actually. Yeah. So French classics. Mastermind this <laughs> <Yes>. week. <laughs> Please bring it on. Okay, well, let's get into it. So your first one you mentioned was uh, Moule Marinière, which is a, a French bistro classic, really, isn't it? Yeah, and it's actually it's a speciality of northern France in general, and you'll find it a lot in Belgium as well, because they just grow such fabulous mussels in that, on that coast, you mm. know, as indeed uh, we in Britain in our cold water. Um, but in the UK, we only really hear about Moule Marinière, which is the version usually with um, white wine, but sometimes mm. with cider um, and cream and shallots and things. And it's simple and it's really delicious. But because mussels are so cheap, 
and so quick to cook. Mm. I think it's fun to sort of mix it up a bit and not just think, oh, we won't have it again because we had more marinier kind of a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And in France, you'll quite often see maybe three or four versions on the menu. Oh, okay. And so as well as the marinier thing, you can swap, as I said, the wine for cider. It's a, a Normand dish and they grow a lot of apples in Normandy. So you can switch the wine for a dry cider um, or you can put beer in, which is more sort of towards Belgium. They do that. But also you can go for, you quite often get it with curry powder, yeah. which is really big in France. Is slightly that, is that surprisingly, Mouclard. Yeah. yeah. Um, And quite often they do it with Roquefort as well, which is a combination that slightly blew my mind, but is delicious because obviously Roquefort is delicious. And then down, if you go down to the Basque country, they um, sometimes uh, have it sort of Basque style, which is with onions and peppers and sometimes a kind of chorizo style sausage. But the local pepper is uh, Piment d'Espelette, which is really fruity. Um, quite mild heat um, just yeah totally delicious wow and what about th- tips for getting it just right I mean is there it, it's it's a pretty simple dish as you said isn't it just make sure you've got really clean muscles I guess you know because it because you are cooking it all in one pot on you yeah and just making sure that you season it well I think sometimes people with muscles because they're seafood they don't put salt in it mm. because they think it's going to be salty but actually once you've sort of rinsed those muscles they're not particularly salty they're kind of sweet so make sure that you season it I'd say use some good creme fraiche rather than double cream because okay. it's got that lovely tanginess thyme, yeah. Um, and yeah give the thyme give the shallots and maybe if you put thyme or something like that in um, thyme or a chance to sort of infuse in a liquid before you add the mussels so yeah. just bring that sort of wine or cider or beer or whatever it is up to a simmer with your shallots and maybe mm. your garlic and herbs and just you know time to infuse before you start cooking the mussels because they don't need very long no and this is a time to drag your biggest pot out of the uh, cupboard yes <laughs> oh yes gosh haven't all of us tried to cram them into a handier saucepan and then gone this isn't going to yeah. work yeah it's worth getting it out from the back of the cupboard fantastic all right let's go on to number two which is galettes or crepes um, from Brittany, I believe. Yes, yeah. And this is quite contentious because sometimes I put a picture up of um, something that I would say um, was a um, crepe. And people say, oh, that's actually a galette. But in the very (laughs) west of Brittany, so in Finisterre, you know, the most Breton place you can get. It means Finisterre, you know, Latin, the end of the earth, um, probably the end of civilization as far as the Romans were concerned. Um, And they they would call the buckwheat versions, that would still be a, a crepe, but in most of France, a galette is a savoury uh, pancake and a crepe is a sweet one. Um, but I think the trick with this, I went to a place that had won the best creperie in France numerous times and the guy there was saying to me he was so casual about it but he said the secret he thinks and having eaten his crepe I concur is to cook them on both sides because often we don't do that because you're putting toppings on unlike say a Shrove Tuesday pancake day you know um, pancake where you flip them if you're putting loads of toppings on people tend to cook them on one side then add the toppings almost like an omelette but if you cook it on both sides and put butter on both sides before you start adding the toppings it's so delicious because it gets a little crispness. It's got the richness of the butter. Make sure you've got a really hot, flat pan if possible. Yeah. So one of those, you don't have to buy one of those um, crepe 
uh, what do they sort of crepe cookers? I can't remember what the name is, but you know the yeah, flat no, exactly electric what you mean, like the electric things. Flat yeah, things. Yeah, if you've got yeah. one, that's great. I don't have room for one, sadly. But just a flat frying pan, and you can get them really cheaply, often in Indian supermarkets. I think they're called Towers. Oh yeah, and they're really good as long as you get one that's well seasoned. Yeah. They are excellent for making pancakes, and they're really light as well, so they're a bit easier to flip things around. Yeah. And with, so, so the galette is, it's the classic one you see with like a little, often a little egg in the middle with yeah, the, exactly. the sides flipped into yes, it. Yes, exactly. And you, but you can put anything you yeah. like on and um, Christophe, the, the best, the best crepier in, yeah. uh, in Brittany, <laughs> <Your mate. laughs> my mate Christophe, uh, we're Facebook friends. Um, he would put, there was everything from, he had, um, abalone on there, which is wow. grown. Who knew that's grown in Brittany as well, found in Brittany. Um, he had something with chicken and pineapple, which I was not okay. tempted to order. I just think <laughs> the same rules apply to pizza and crepe equally. But and then he had lots of save sweet ones as well with the buckwheat because buckwheat. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, buckwheat. Buckwheat has got a quite um, an earthy. It's often described mm. as an earthy flavour, which to me doesn't sound very delicious. But buckwheat is delicious, yeah. but it just has a bit of a stronger taste than wheat flour. Yeah. But it's gluten free, which makes it really handy for people uh, that have sort of allergies or a celiac. Yeah. It is, I have to warn you, it's slightly, because it doesn't have any gluten in, it's slightly more difficult to sort of flip than a, a wheat flour mm. crepe. But I think the flavour is worth it. Yeah, loads of tips there. All right, on to another contentious one, quiche Lorraine, because I know that the um, debates rage about this <laughs> all over the place, don't they? There's a few of these on the list, but this is the first one. I like quiche Lorraine is maybe the most abused French dish. Yeah. Um, I mean, in France as well, it's not just, a, it's us, not just going us in with our spag ball boots on. Um Traditionally, quiche Lorraine, which is from the Lorraine region of mm. eastern France, um, sort of northeastern France, going towards Alsace and Gem border, has nothing. It has three ingredients apart from the pastry. It has eggs. Mm. It has the sort of bacon lardons, and it has creme fraiche. It does not have cheese. It does not have onions, and it does not have puff pastry. Okay, for sure. <laughs> And I think I've probably been guilty of doing a puff pastry version in the past. So, you know, I'm holding my hands up here. Traditionally, it doesn't. Um, although traditionally, it was often made of bread dough. So I feel like sometimes they're a bit snotty. Yeah. But you can obviously, you can put cheese in if you like. You can put onions in. I'm just <laughs> saying that in Lorraine, that they would chase you out of town for it. Um, but I thought the creme fraiche was an interesting thing. So yes. we don't always put that in ours. No. But it gives it, again, a lovely tanginess and a lovely richness yeah. um, that I think works really well with the bacon. So it's more like a bacon custard yeah exactly and i think that i always feel sad when i look at those little supermarket quiches that oh, has yeah. almost such pastry as custard i feel like a quiche ought to be Should, like a custard pie yeah, like, like a wobbly a nice exactly wobbly, with a really sexy wobble in the middle yeah. um and interestingly traditionally they don't blind bake the case so i know what people say on bake off oh. about a soggy bottom that is valued a bit like i would say our own pies where we all love that kind of the double crust yeah the, pies. exactly with a proper soggy pastry yeah we love that well in Lorraine they would that's what they would do and they said their quiche is warm they're not a picnic thing you wouldn't you know it's mm. like an Italian wouldn't have a takeaway pizza because it's ruined yeah you wouldn't take a quiche on a picnic for god's sake you have it warm for dinner <laughs> so it's quite it's quite an interesting uh idea when we were trying to get them sometimes in bakeries and you can buy them in bakeries in France but they were like do you want them warmed up and he said no 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 
Okay, weird. Weird yeah. British people. So, if you, so the bottom, would the bottom, it wouldn't be crispy then? It would just be. It wouldn't be crispy on the bottom. Obviously, it would still hold the liquid. Yeah. So it would just be, you know, not everyone blind bakes their pastry bases no, anyway, but I feel like not. recently, yeah. because of the soggy bottom, bottom bacon yeah. bake off thing, people have become obsessed by it. Yeah. I don't think it's always the best option. No, I, and I know I've, d- I've done recipes where you put, you know, you put the pastry and you put the filling in and it tends to be like having a really thin and heat conductive tin, which helps give the pastry a little bit of browning mm. on the bottom, you know, so, so you, it does, it does work. It's yeah. not like an impossible thing to do. Yeah. But actually, like you said, often the, the nice, you know, the magic happens where the pastry meets the filling and yeah, you get you a little, little bit, bit of, of sog. Little bit know, of sog. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I like a bit of sog. I'm out and proud. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, on to um, the next one, which is a classic dish uh, from Provence, I believe, ratatouille. Yeah, so the southeastern France, yeah. it's got all those Mediterranean type yeah. vegetables in it. Although often you see things like celery, which I think really? it's not very Mediterranean, but obviously they use celery in the Mediterranean. Yeah. I'm just being, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all about the aubergines. But um, interestingly, there's uh, there's a really famous cookery book that I think it's called Cuisine Nichoise, mm-hmm. I think. And they say in it, they sort of preface, it's a French language book that has been translated. Yeah. And they say that ratatouille is often thought of as a quick dish and it is exactly the opposite. Yeah, I would and have we thought. do, yeah, we just think, oh, you'll chuck loads of vegetables in the oven and then put a tomato sauce mm. and you're done. But to make a really good ratatouille, which should be a dish on its own, or you know, maybe you could put it with a nice piece of fish or, you know, some cheese if you're vegetarian or whatever. Although it's a vegan dish, so you could but it was something vegan as well. Um, you should cook all the different uh, vegetables separately just because if you think about an aubergine and say a pepper or a courgette, they all take different, different times to times. be perfect. So it's worth... Especially aubergines, which are a horror if you don't yes, cook them properly. Exactly. And I've made ratatouille before. I'm just chewing on this old bit of shoe leather that's an aubergine, no. just feeling really shamed. I end up putting lots of oil into the dish to try and mask the aubergines. Yeah. But if you cook them separately, you can get them all right before you add them to the tomato sauce. Oh. And I think it is it's a faff but what, it's worth doing how does that thing come into it then that i've seen quite a lot on instagram <laughs> and online recently you know the ratatouille, the ratatouille where, yeah, film from, yeah. you know, but it, it is like are they emulating the ratatouille film by doing that where they slice everything really really thinly mm. in in gorgeous little wafers yeah. and then they kind of um fill a circular dish yeah. in a kind of snaky overlapping pattern and then bake it in the oven and i'm like did was that was that ever a thing or was I don't that think was that, that the was movie? Ever, no, no, I don't think that was never a traditional thing. I have made it like that and yeah. it's really nice. It's also quite a faff. Yeah. And I think you don't get the same it looks really nice, but it's not kind they don't absorb Nothing the sauce like in the same way. Exactly. The same it's beautiful. Way, yeah. But I would say that's a made for Instagram, yeah. really. Or, you know, made for Pixar Disney or whoever inspired made that by film. Rats. Yeah, it's inspired <laughs> by rat. It is a brilliant film. But that though. rat could cook, to be fair to that rat, it could cook. <laughs> Remy brilliant um the next one we're going to talk about is tartatan um and i know there's some pretty there's a pretty good story behind the dish tell us about the sisters who invented it so it was um i went on a wild goose chase well i did find the goose but (laughs) i wanted to go to the birthplace of the tartatan and actually unlike lots of sort of very famous dishes it does have a very um clear provenance and it seems to have been served it's from the Salon region um which is just southwest of paris and it's kind of the hunting grounds okay. for paris there's lots of forests and you still get people go to kind of go and shoot things and mm. whatever today um so it's quite a rural area 
and um, lots of fruit is grown there as well. And there's a hotel called the Hotel Tatin, and it was run by the Tatin sisters in, I think, uh, I think the late 19th century yeah. and the idea was that one day one of them was making an apple tart <laughs> and put it in the oven upside down and lo and behold the tart 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 <laughs> just flipped born. it over she had some, yeah she had some sort of <laughs> rowdy hunting party and she couldn't disappoint them so she served it anyway and you know they were like oh this oh. is amazing oh incredible <laughs> and, and a legend was born I'm not sure about that because when I looked into it apparently these upside down like our own pineapple upside down cake yeah um the region is sort of it it predates them but it's a nice story the hotel tatin is still there mm. serving a pretty decent tart tatin i think mine is better um <laughs> <laughs> but <Wow. it's... laughs> pick yourself up felicity <laughs> well i don't know but if anyone has been to the tart tatin to have one they might <laughs> they might have had a better experience than oh, me really? i had a big chunk of apple missing from mine okay oh so they'd sort of sliced it and then exactly. hadn't, hadn't replaced the bit of apple that yeah i off. feel like i was hard done by it was nice but it wasn't perfect no <laughs> what are the tricks we're getting at perfect then in your well it's interesting there are two schools so i think the more modern one you have you keep the apples quite sort of not crunchy but they still keep their shape and they're kind of caramel soaked but they're still an apple that you kind of have to slice into with the side side of the spoon the trick with that kind which is the kind that looks a lot nicer I think is to make sure the apples are really dry before you start off. So yeah. I think it's a Gordon Ramsay tip that you can put them in the oven, pe- sorry, in the fridge peeled for 24 hours oh, before you make it because just it'll to dehydrate. dry them out. But exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then also um, once you put the apples in the tin with your caramel and you've cooked them for a bit, then let all of that cool down before you put the pastry on top because then you'll keep, if you put hot really hot apples and caramel and pastry on top mm. and the pastry won't be as crisp because obviously it'll melt and into the apples as well, so yeah. i think if you're going for a really sort of perfect looking tart tartare yeah then you need to do it in a few stages however the tart tartare the hotel tartare which was despite my grudge read the missing apple was very delicious was very jammy and kind they cooked the apples and the caramel together for a really long time oh. before they add the pastry sort of came round to that it's, it looks so like more, good so like more mushy yeah mushy yeah. but really deeply caramelized yeah. and very delicious you know again not an instagram dish but very nice yeah. so there's two schools of thought there oh that's a good that's a good tip what kind of what would you like cook it in what would be your tip for like what tax do you cook it in like a pan i think a pan that you can put into the oven yeah. so if you've got a Start little it off in there yeah. exactly so if you can do it in one pan i would say that's ideal because it's just it is especially if you arrange the apples in a really pretty way in a pan yeah. to caramelize them it's really them, yeah. hard to do that so if you can get a just a pan without a um plastic handle so anything that said that it's oven proof mm. and actually you can get them quite cheaply now the kind of small ones that would be my top tip but make sure that you have seasoned it if it's just an iron otherwise you don't want to be doing anything with non-stick pans i don't think in the oven um so yeah you need to put in the legwork there but it's worth it because your tartan sands will be excellent fantastic um i'm going to argue with you about the next one (laughs) right (laughs) salad nissoirs um because you say more traditionally made with anchovies than tuna so if like me, you can't bear tuna, you can still enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm the opposite. I anchovies are not a friend of mine. Um, so I'll I'll have the tuna, please. So tell us about what I, I read, and I don't know whether this is true that it initially started off with just tomatoes, anchovies, 
and olives. Is that right with the initial? That might be. I mean, it's. I think this is one of these dishes where there's no there's clear provenance. Exactly, yeah. no near clear provenance, and you know you can get potatoes, you can get green yeah. beans, and all of these things you will find in Nice. So yeah. They're not stuff that we have added in Britain. Um, but I think anchovies just, you know, they're a lot cheaper than tuna, especially yeah. they do land tuna in the Mediterranean in Mediterranean France. But you know. Tin tuna now obviously is quite cheap, but anchovies are just cheaper. And I think personally, I think they go better. They like the olives and the capers. They're little, little salty, salty things, hits, exactly. Yeah. But you know, you can have to, you can have your tuna if you like, <laughs> as long as we're not sharing a salad, it's fine. <laughs> but it's one of those very adaptable recipes that you can keep it really simple if you want, and just mm. put sort of make it like a tomato salad with some salty things in. Yeah. Or you can add some more chopped things, make it more like a Greek salad. You can do cooked veg. I really like it with fresh broad beans. Um, oh, that's nice. It's delicious because yeah. they have a sort of different texture. Um, but I think it's you don't have to be too hidebound. One of the things that I would say the dressing, in my opinion, is quite important. You've got to have a slightly garlicky kind of oily, you know, lovely Mediterranean yeah. flavour dressing. I actually think that's more important than the particular vegetables that you put in the salad. Yeah. And always eggs, I think. Oh, yeah, eggs. I think you can make so it vegetarian egg- quite easily, but I would miss the eggs You'd if you're going to make it vegan, yeah. When you did it for your perfect column, did you have people sort of, raging about it in the in the below the line i had comments. people raging about it in my household so <laughs> <laughs> they said but you don't like tuna and i said well i bought the nicest tuna i could find yeah. and i just thought quite quite honestly i did think that the strong flavor of the anchovies worked better yeah but you know i am aware of my bias here so feel free to disagree but yeah some people did feel strongly about it do you not even like the sort of that really lovely posh tin no, tuna no oh, God. no no I i've love tried that. i've tried all of them really i just ugh. that's fine you know you do you do you i will do me and say. it will not it will not involve tuna <laughs> um more arguments raging cassoulet this has got people all over the world raging about yeah. how it's made where, yeah. where it actually originated yeah, and all of these rules so it's from uh gascony in southwest mm. france and you know it's the region of you know where they don't eat olive oil like in southeast france they're all about the duck fat and oh, wow. you know it's a really bean and duck heavy region yeah very delicious cuisine mm. And I actually, when I was cycling around France, I ate three cassoulet in, I think it was two days. Because there are three places that are meant to be the home of cassoulet and they argue about it. So Carcassonne, which is a beautiful sort of citadel um, town. And then uh, Toulouse, which is the big sort of capital of the region, Mm. home of the famous garlicky sausage. And then uh, Castelnaudary, which is a town that sort of sits um, third point in the triangle. And you will read in so many books that they've all got their particular one. And I think Castanodri is meant to put lamb in it, maybe. Yeah. And I think Carcassonne is meant to put partridge or pheasant. Anyway, if you go to these places, you will find cassoulets <laughs> containing all of the above or none of the above. I feel like no one told the locals these rules. Yeah. Um, but one thing that they are um, agreed upon is that you do need to cook it for a really long time. Okay. And you should use dried beans. And I've written recipes before quick cassoulets because sometimes... You do want that hit of the sort of beans and the sausage and, you know, fatty meat and stuff, but you mm. don't have hours to be simmering it. And it is, does take a long time, but I've uh, read more recently for another recipe 
that you use dried beans and you get a better flavor from dried beans just because you can simmer them with different aromatics. But if you put in, instead of soaking them overnight first, if you put in a strip of kombu, which is a sort of kelp seaweed that's used in uh, Japanese cooking and can quite often be found in supermarkets these days because it's used to make dashi stock and things like that, Um, but certainly can be bought online. Put a little strip of that in with your bean, your dry beans Mm. when you're simmering them from dry, then they will not only cook as quickly as they would if you'd soaked them. They have a lovely sort of faint umami flavour. They're easiest to digest because of some chemical reaction, which I'm not going to pretend to understand. Um, So then, you know, they've got less of the effect, the famous windy effect of beans. And they've got this lovely, they're really creamy inside. It's just, it's so clever. Who who works that out? Where does it come from? I, d- I have no idea. <laughs> I, d- I wish I could say I'd come up with it. I did not. But it's so it's so simple. And a packet of kombu lasts forever. So if you yeah. come across some, get it. Take it. Keep it in your house. It is so clever. It's and an I would say tip. that can cut your cassoulet time by 12 hours because no need to soak the beans. And it, traditionally, would it be something that is made over a couple of days? Does it have mm. to be? Because you've, I mean, it, God, if you're making it from scratch and confiting your own duck as well, it's a week's oh, work, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> I have to confess, I've never confied my own duck for it. I feel like it's just, it is a step too far. Maybe you make your own sausages, yeah. maybe you go and shoot your own pheasant. It's, it's possible. I think that you can put in whatever meat you like. Mm, yeah. I do think that in vegetarian versions, it's quite hard to get that duck fatty yeah. thing, but a lot of garlic and thyme can make up for a, you know, yeah. for it a bit. Um, but I think that you need to make sure the beans are cooked properly and don't make it too dry. That was one of the things I learned. I got corrected in a recipe in, t- in a restaurant in Toulouse. Some men lent across and told me my cassoulet was too dry. And I was really? like, oh. I realised that actually it shouldn't be. It shouldn't sort of stand up on its own. It no. should be slightly soupy. Soupy, stewy, yeah. yeah. Mm. I just can't stop thinking about you eating three cassoulets in two and days. And it was really hot as well down there. Mm. Luckily I was cycling, but it, yeah, it was a professional obligation, which yeah. <laughs> afterwards, and I asked for a green salad with the last one because I thought I have to have some fresh green vegetables. <laughs> I cannot do it. And they looked at me, they were like, are you sure? And I was like, yes, I'm sure. I'm going to be the weird British woman. I want a green salad. So they brought it, but everyone in a restaurant was watching me <laughs> eat this salad with the cassoulet, like, how dare you? But, you know, I still, I came out of it still loving cassoulet because it's such a delicious dish, Amazing. even in 30 degree heat. <clears throat> Taken one for the team there, definitely. <laughs> team Castellet. Um, on to the next one, which is chocolate mousse. I mean, this, I, I love this um, dessert because it is, I think the classic version is literally just eggs, sugar and chocolate, isn't mm, it? It's so simple. And it's one of those things that is so simple, but so easy to get wrong. And yeah. because of that, a lot of us steer clear of it, even though it's the perfect sort of dinner party desserts, you have to make it ahead of time. Yeah. So, you know, it's ideal and everyone loves it. Um, and it's from, you get it all over France, but I think that Bayon down in the southwest near the Spanish border is the home of French chocolate making, interestingly, which mm. I didn't realise before I went there because it came across the Pyrenees from Spain. Yeah. Um, and they'd taken it from the New World. So very interesting. Um, and they have a chocolate museum there and loads of great chocolate shops. I would advise. Well, the chocolate machine museum was closed <laughs> on the day I arrived. It's also raining torrentially. But I can say that I had some excellent hot chocolates yeah. and some excellent chocolates to make up <laughs> for my sadness. So I would, but I'd recommend a visit. Bayonne is a very pretty town. Um, but the secret with chocolate mousse, I think sometimes when you make it yourself, it can be slightly grainy yeah. and you get those, it's, cause it's that, it's difficult, isn't it? You don't want to overmix it and knock the air out of it, but you don't want it to be streaky. And so mm. it's always that, Oh, where do I stop? 
if you slightly, once you've melted the chocolate, yeah. you obviously don't want to add your melted hot chocolate to the whisked egg whites, or sometimes people add cream, don't they, and fold it into whipped cream. Yeah. But you don't want to end too much of a difference between the temperature of the uh, egg whites and the chocolate, or the chocolate will just would solidify. Up, yeah. So just warm it up slightly, or don't let it cool completely before you do that, and it'll be much easier, and you won't find yourself knocking all mm. the air out trying to get that chocolate to mix. So the classic method is to to is it to put the yolks into the warm chocolate or is it to um, beat the egg yolk and white together till it's that lovely big voluminous it's kind sort of... of i think it varies i mean i've seen them without um without egg yolks at all oh, re- um, oh yeah, yeah of course yeah exactly with that. just the egg white and the sugar beaten together and then you fold in the melted chocolate but sometimes with the richer ones mm. i think more delicious um yeah you can beat the egg yolks into the i think into the chocolate yeah, yeah. i think that's i think that's what how i've made it in mm. the past but again like you said such a simple dessert and yeah. so it's worth so perfecting. easy to um put together if you're concentrating just you know keep an eye on and it. i also said i made one with just this was a few years ago but i remember how nice it was with just water and chocolate so any vegans listening that are sort of put off by the idea of egg oh. replacement or i don't know how easy they are to work with but there's a really good recipe that you'll yeah, find online i've read this from it's, some yeah, yeah it's very some intensely chef did it, flavored yeah, and because, it's really delicious because it just allows the flavor of the chocolate mm. to come through this isn't where you get your dairy milk out no <laughs> But as a vegan, you wouldn't do that. Anyway. Yeah, no. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you want to get um, you want to get the really expensive, yes. but but balanced kind exactly. of seventy exactly. percent chocolate. Exactly. And How, then... what's the method for that then? Just literally whipping. I actually, can't remember. But there are videos of people doing it it's online. It's kind of aerating, it's... isn't it? Yeah. It's like it's like whisking, whisking, and you're yeah. literally whisking. It is like water magic. Into... I remember that much, and yeah. I remember thinking it was going to be horrible and being pleasantly really surprised. I'm going to go and look that up. That sounds fantastic. Um, number nine is a particular favourite of mine, French French onion soup. I mean, it's onion soup, but it's we call it French onion soup, don't we? Because it's the most delicious yeah. kind of... I mean, why would you eat any other kind of onion soup? Um, and this one has got disputed origins. So there's a guy called... If anyone travels in eastern France, you'll come across a guy called Stanislas, who is everywhere. He is a really big deal. He was, I think... I can't remember when he existed sometime in the sort of, I think, late Middle Ages. Yeah. And he was a duke of everywhere. And he came, I think, originally from modern day Poland and et cetera. And he's meant to have invented all sorts of things, including the thing we're going to talk about next. And also onion soup when, you know, he went to a hunting lodge and could turn his hand to anything and found an onion in the cupboard and whipped up this delicious he soup. He sounds a, a joy. He's, I love he's, him. He's a dude. Um, but it's also, uh, apparently it used to be served in Les Halles in Paris, the big food market, oh, yeah. to late night revelers. And in the Bouchon restaurants of Lyon. Basically, in France, onion soup is held to be a hangover cure. I was going to say it's a restorative yeah, thing, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, which I think, well, it could kind of mask the, you know, the smell of alcohol on your breath quite successfully, but it wouldn't be what I would have after yeah. a heavy night, I have to say. But um one of the problems that I have found with doing onion soup is that you really need that level of flavour that's not just onion. So you mm. put all of your time into really caramelising those onions and getting that great deep flavour. And then if you've got slightly substandard stock, and it's traditionally made of beef stock, yeah. and it just slightly, it's not, you know, it's a bit disappointing and you wonder why you bothered. And especially if you're making it vegetarian, it really is difficult to coax that level of flavour mm. out despite your lovely onions. A spoonful of Marmite. Don't tell any French people, but it is <laughs> it is the key ingredient. You yeah. put it in secretly with your back turned, it will save your onion soup. Yeah. I think for me as well, the um 
I mean, the thing about onion soup is it, it's just a vehicle for getting cheesy, <laughs> cheesy toast on top, isn't it? Come on. Know, why am I even bothering talking about the soup? <laughs> what we all want is a cheesy crouton. Yeah. And um, and I think traditionally Gruyere is yeah. that to go on top. Yeah. But also I think I love Gruyere and it works really well. I think it works pretty well with sort of stronger, saltier British cheeses as well. You want to do a sort of cultural exchange. Yeah. A really good cheddar or even a lovely red Leicester works brilliantly. Mm. I, I, I kind of want a bowl of that right now. That is gorgeous. <laughs> um, and on to number 10, um, Madeleine's um, famously Proust dipped his Madeleine's in his, what kind of tea, tea was it? it was like linden flower or yeah, something. linden flower yes. tea. Yes, and exactly. And went back on a journey into the past. Yeah, and, you exactly, know. <laughs> and they're still talking about it. In uh, It's from also from a place in Lorraine. Yeah, I was going to say, where did they come from originally? They're, well, they're... Also, Stanislas is also... Oh, did he invent them? <laughs> he Stanislas. invented them, or a servant girl of his called Madeleine invented them. Oh, I see. You know, I read a lot about this when I was in the home of Madeleine. Great. You can go to little um, factories where they make them, where they have displays, and you can eat them hot out of the oven, oh, which wow, I would good. recommend. Yeah. Or you can make them yourself and also eat them hot out of the oven without going to Lorraine. Yeah. So it's your choice. <laughs> um, but they are, yeah, they also come from um, that region. It's actually quite a good foodie region that's not, you know, we've got the potentially the onion soup, but also the Madeleine and yeah. the quiche Lorraine. So it's a good place to go. It's going to be say. quite hard to find a region of France that isn't foodie, isn't it? Yes. I did, well, I, I always want to say, and I hope that no one listening takes offence, but um, the sort of Pas de Calais, the bit that's nearest us, right. I think is quite um, known for its sort of horse meat and... I think it does really good chips cooked in horse fat. Okay. But I don't know how many listeners are going to fancy that. Um, <laughs> but please let me know if the specialities from there because I feel mean. I'm just thinking because it's close to Britain, it's going to be rubbish. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the Madeleines um, traditionally have the little shell kind of shaped tin, don't they? Yeah, so you it, you do have to buy a special tin, but you can find them really easily. I would go for a metal one rather than a silicon yeah. one because you get a slight, that lovely, not a crisp base, but I don't know how you describe a slight sort of... It's like a, yeah, crusty, sort of sh- like a little crust on, yeah. under your, your teeth yeah. and then it's lovely and sort of um, soft and spongy and delicious. And do you have to prepare the tins specially? I mean, there's you this You have to, trick. yeah, brush them well so the... So the um, so the cakes come out easily. But also I think the secret yeah. is to really chill your batter and to chill the tin and then to put the batter into the tin and chill that for a while. Because oh, okay. apparently it's something called the thermic or thermal, thermal shock, sorry. Thermal shock, the difference between a hot oven and the cold batter and oh, the cold wow. tin that produces the bumps that everyone gets excited about on Madeleine's, those yeah. little humps. The boss, as they say in French, that is the secret. <laughs> if you want a boss Madeleine. A boss then... <laughs> Madeleine. Because it is a whisk sponge, isn't it? So I would mm. I would think you'd want to kind of get it in, in there. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, resting is resting is your friend, surprisingly. Fantastic. Well, amazing. Thank you for that whistle-stop tour of France and the iconic dishes and loads of great tips there. Um, if you want to read more about Felicity's adventures, uh, One More Croissant for the Road, was her book all about cycling around France and um right now your your book red sauce brown sauce which we talked about in a previous podcast is out all about the great British breakfast and your uh, adventures around Britain eating that as well yeah so which Stanislas of... did not feature sadly no. <laughs> didn't make it across it I'm gonna go and read about him he sounds fascinating <laughs> but thanks again for coming to chat to us today Felicity it was brilliant merci c'était un plaisir I'm not saying anything <laughs> thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast for recipes and more information head to olivemagazine.com 
Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.